It's your favorite time of the week, Christian Classics with Nick and Mike. Stay tuned. Nick and Mike, or Mike and Nick. That sounds the same to me. <laughs> it's a lot of single syllables. <laughs> um, but I like uh, Christian classics with Mike and Nick. I think that was at the time. That's good. It's good. It's good. Like yeah. it. um, so uh, if you're just joining us for this um, beautiful series that we're looking at, um, and uh, traversing through, is traverse the right word? Traveling. And um, and I hope that you have seen some of the previous um, episodes, but we're trying to go through um, a curated list of the, the classics of Christianity. And, you know, obviously, mm-hmm. as we said, every, as we say every time we do this, um, you know, we're doomed to failure at the outset. Of course, you're not going to be able to get everything in and you're not going to even be able to get the highlights in. Because even to make that kind of decision is just ridiculously complicated and uh, subjective yeah. at the end of the day. So uh, what we're doing is relying on someone else to go through that <laughs> groundwork with us. We, we're relying on um, Tony Lane's um, curated book. But um, and we'll you know, I think it's just helpful. We can bridge out from there. If like what I've done, um, I don't know if I told you this, Nick, but we, we dealt with um, the epistle to Diognetus a while back. Um, yeah, but that was actually his next, next thing okay, um, sweet. in the book. So we've done that already. But you know, just if you're going right. to keep the timeline timeline strictly, uh, you go there next. Um, but like it was classic because there was some. I think we did it slightly differently, and I kind of liked the way that we did it better. It's one of those things that you really didn't have to curate too much. So yeah. um, I think the way that we got there uh, actually worked a bit better. So we might do that in the future if we find he just misses some really important points. Mm, oh, there um, are some great books that aren't in there, but yeah. Exactly. Maybe even add a few. Um, you know, that'll work. So, but as long as people know more or less if they want to follow. And uh, yeah, just the idea is that you just keep on listening, some easy breezy listening, and you get through some of the actual text of Christian classics. And then, of course, you get expertise commentary. Oh, that's the best part. I mean, especially from Nick. Um, I mean, especially from Mike. I mean, I just live for your comments, bro. They're just like pearls. I, I, I consider myself to be like your backup dancer. <laughs> <laughs> you're really the main guy, you know. You're the you're the star of the show. No, bro, it's classic classics with Mike and Nick. <laughs> classics with Mike and Nick. All right. Well, with that in mind, what we normally do is uh, we we just kind of uh, make a few comments, read through the thing. And that's a wrap. Irenaeus is our guy um, this episode and his famous Against Heresies. Um, This is an important figure. Um, Irenaeus was... Very important. Yeah, Yeah. he was like buddies with Polycarp, you know, um, and... Wasn't he ordained by Polycarp? I think so. I think, didn't he take over I thought I read that somewhere, yeah. Yeah, I think he actually... I think he knew him... You know, as a boy, he listened to him or something along those lines, and then, and then, um, and then he actually later on became the pastor and and, um, and took over from Polycarp. I think I think that's how it worked. And then well, Polycarp, of course, he, so so Irenaeus was from Turkey, where Polycarp was the bishop. Yeah. Then Irenaeus ended up in France. Yes. At yes. Lyons, well, present-day Lyons. Yeah. Yeah. 
or present day France. Orleans, okay, got it. Yeah. Yeah. In Gaul, right, back in back in the day. Um and uh of course Polycarp is, you know, the the guy connected to John. So what I find so amazing about this is um that because most of these against heresies, um, or most of what what Irenaeus is important for, at least, is uh, showing us all about Gnosticism, um, mm. which was a term. It's a term we throw around a lot in dealing with the New Testament, but really, it's it's kind of a modern term that we use to kind of summarize a lot of second century sects going on at the time, all with a more or less similar flavor. But most of our knowledge of that uh, comes from from this. Um, um, against heresies that he wrote, which is enormous. And um, and also, you know, what, what was crazy, I found this out the other day, is that um, he, you know, with the recent discoveries of the Gnostic uh, writings, you know, we've got a few of them that we didn't have before. Yeah, um, yeah. All of that can, confirms the accuracy of what he was saying. So that's good to know as well, you know. Pretty awesome, man. Eh? Yeah, it is. Totally. So in that sense, it's really relevant. I mean, Gnostic, Gnostic thinking is... Um, you know, it's huge. It's not. I think it's not an accident. Providentially, you know, the way that the New Testament authors dealt with that, and the way that you know, there's so much was uh, done around this time to to um, combat that heresy. I mean, this is not a. This is an ongoingly relevant thing, and basically, it, it's just. It's almost like one way or another, we keep coming back to that problem. So the more we can dig into their refutation of Gnosticism, I think uh, the more we're equipped to to move yeah. forward with that you know you wouldn't want to read it was very it was very interesting to me the uh the sample that tony lane chose because it's 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 almost like he picked out those parts where irenaeus was picking on gnosticism mm. so the parts we're going to be read will be talking about the succession of the bishops the mm. apostolic succession yes as a way to prove that you know the gnostics have a certain interpretation of scripture but our interpretation of scripture is better because yeah you know, we're sticking to the tradition that's been handed down. Yeah, yeah. And then the, the later portion of what we'll be reading pertains to the millennium. Mm-hmm. And uh, what's so interesting about that is that, you know, the Gnostics deny that there'll be some future physical right. new creation. But yeah. Irenaeus believed in a literal millennium, and that's it's almost as if that would, you know, it's part of why he disagreed with Gnosticism. Totally. Because he had this earthly future in mind and not just this purely spiritual one. Yes. And if anything, I, you know, just even that background with narcissism helps as well. And that, you know, he definitely, I mean, he, he sort of helped for Orthodox Christianity to continue this point from this point on. I mean, if he hadn't have, because he was largely, as far as I'm aware, he was largely successful, I think, in, in sort of triumphing over uh, narcissism at the time. But, um, but, you know, in the process, as you say, he sort of emphasized the, the apostolic succession thing and gave rise to all sorts of um, other over emphases um, that yeah. that you know led to where we know it led, and I think the same thing with um, with the emphasis on the millennium and all that. I mean, obviously, he wants to get right out of that Gnostic camp um, and and emphasize the earthiness, which is good, but in yeah. the process might have overemphasized the literalness of some texts, and and um, well, certainly I would think so anyway. And it differed from Augustine, for example, later. Uh, who didn't fight yeah. quite the same battle. So, yeah, that's all worth keeping in mind. So, you know, it's, it's good to know that stuff because you want to be able to affirm the point um, completely with and, and also see where it got over-affirmed, so, you know, in light of where it went historically. So, you know, not yeah, to do the same sure. thing. Yeah. 
And um, uh, I think yeah. I read somewhere as well that he was the this is his his writing is the earliest affirmation of the four gospels oh. outside of scripture. Yeah. Yeah. So it's the earliest affirmation of the four canonical gospels saying awesome. that we only have four. Hmm. Um, he talks about other sects having either only one like Marcion or mm-hmm. others that include the Gnostic gospels. Brilliant. Yeah. But um, his is the earliest of the fourfold gospels. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And just some other very important uh, contributions. Totally. Uh, this is around 180, right? 180s there about. Yeah. Just yeah, before 200. Around, yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. I mean, that's still, we're still very, very early at this point. And, um, and you know he he is um, Tony Lane comments in the beginning here. He is kind of the link between the Eastern Greek thought and the later Western Latin thought. And his younger contemporary was Tertullian, and um, we've still got yeah. to deal with Tertullian, so uh, we'll get there. But um, you know he, he so he provides an important link, and where Justin was primarily an apologist, um, Irenaeus. Um, gives this contribution mainly in the refutation of of, um, of heresy and, you know, in the way, uh, an exposition of apostolic Christianity. He's basically the link back to the apostles at a very, very volatile time. And so yeah. provides this um, very important um, victory over the Gnostics, allowing orthodoxy going forward. I was also uh, just very interested in reading some summaries of his theology. So the one big thing that stood out was um, his view of Christ as the second Adam. Oh, Beautiful. So he was he was huge on that. I mean, he didn't have a fully developed covenant theology, sure. and he had all sorts of uh, idiosyncrasies we wouldn't include in our uh, covenant theology. Uh-huh. But he had the framework of yes. uh, a second Adam and the two temptations and, and that sort of thing. Um, he's also well known for equating Eve with Mary. So there's an early seed uh-huh. of error creeping in there. Okay. Um, and it interested me as well to see that he's almost the foundation laying guy for the Eastern Orthodox emphasis on the incarnation right. as opposed to the cross uh, as the means by which we're saved. Right. So the fact that the divine nature came and indwelt a human nature as the point of contact to save human nature yeah. as opposed to, you know, we would see it very much from a legal or forensic point of view where Christ goes to a cross and he pays and there's this penal substitutionary yes. atonement angle. Uh-huh. Um, for him, the incarnation is more important Hmm. Or at least it looms larger in his theology than the cross. Hmm. Brilliant. Um, just uh, having a little skim over what uh, Lane says here. He he said, um, you know, just talking about his relevance <clears throat> for modern Christianity. Um, he he says um, that he was able. I'll just actually go ahead and read this. He says, "I once discovered the power of Irenaeus's argument for myself when debating with two self-confessed Gnostics." who had given me a lift. (laughs) I first tried to answer them from the New Testament, but this did not work. They, like their second century forebears, did not accept what they called your scriptures. As Irenaeus himself put it, when they are refuted from the scriptures, they turn around and accuse these same scriptures as if they were not correct or authoritative. Orthodox Christianity and Gnosticism are two religions with two different sets of scriptures the question is which religion and which set of scriptures goes back to christ and the apostles and this question mm. is answered by Irenaeus uh, forcefully so uh, you know interesting it just to just give us some sense at least of, of why this would be relevant and uh, and helpful even today um although you know it's it's interesting i mean like for, from a protestant perspective how much now knowing where this went you know what would we what would we i think what i like about it is that it's all public, you know? 
Um, he's 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 saying there's an unbroken succession of public proclamation of knowledge, essentially. Yeah. But in terms of the way think, that it, it starts getting into that whole apostolic succession thing, that makes yeah, me definitely. I mean, yeah. he's emphasizing the, the tradition not to make it compete with scripture, but to show that it is in line with scripture. Yeah, and we could very easily look back on that and misinterpret it in light of what happened later. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. All right, cool. Well, let's go and get into this whole thing. Um, starting with, and we're, by the way, we're going to be bouncing around, so I'll just mention the chapter each time. But uh, we're on book cool. one, chapter 10, paragraph one. Yep. All right. Shall I kick us off? Go for it. The church, though scattered through the whole world to the ends of the earth, has, has received from the apostles and their disciples this faith. In one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and the sea and all things in them, and in one Christ, the Son of God, who was made flesh for our salvation, and in the Holy Spirit, who through the prophets proclaimed God's saving dealings with man and the coming virgin birth, passion, resurrection from the dead, and bodily ascension into heaven of our beloved Lord Jesus Christ and His second coming from heaven in the glory of the Father to sum up all things and to raise up all human flesh so that He should execute just judgment upon all people. <clears throat> so I mean I like that because that is our faith right there. So we're Amen. on we're on team Irenaeus. It's good to know that. Does yours stop there? Uh it's got a dot dot dot. And I imagine Okay, that, mine yeah. just continues with like a whole bunch of other doctrines. It's awesome. Okay, cool. You want to read some or uh no, it's fine. I mean it's it's it just goes on basically because that's a summary of a systematic theology, isn't it? That it's is. almost a, it's another a, apostles' creed. Totally. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, this is a classic example of where he would, you know, I suppose, um, refer to that uh, apostolic Christianity as a tradition in summary of what the scriptures taught um, to show its continuity throughout. So that's great. I mean, that's a helpful summary right there. It's good to know. It's good to know it's the same thing. You know, I just love seeing that. It's not a weird version <laughs> of Christianity. It's our Christianity, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's no, good. Good. All right. So, so like the only part that he left, the only part he left out was uh, the judgment of angels. Oh wow! And then the immortal life, immor- uh, eternal fire, just stuff like that. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Good. <clears throat> All right. You cool. I'll read uh, chapter two. two. Yeah. Yep. Paragraph two. As I have already observed, the church, having received this preaching and this faith although scattered throughout the whole world, yet as if occupying but one house, carefully preserves it. She also believes these points of doctrine, just as if she had but one soul and one and the same heart, and she proclaims them and teaches them and hands them down with perfect harmony, as if she possessed only one mouth. For although the languages of the world are dissimilar, Yet the import, the import of the tradition is one and the same. For the churches which have been planted in Germany do not believe or hand down anything different, nor do those in Spain, nor those in Gaul, nor those in the East, nor those in Egypt, nor those in Libya, nor those which have been established in the central regions of the world. But as the sun, that creature of God is one and the same throughout the whole world, so also the preaching of the truth shineth everywhere and enlightens all men that are willing to come to a knowledge of the truth. Nor will any one of the rulers in the churches, however highly gifted he may be, in point of eloquence, teach doctrines different from these. For no man is greater than the master. Nor, on the other hand, will he who is deficient in power of expression inflict injury on the tradition. 
For the faith being ever one and the same, neither does one who is able at great length to discourse regarding it make any addition to it, nor does one who can say but little diminish it. Hmm. Brilliant. All right, yeah. so we got so, unity, clear faith, no extra knowledge. Kind of what first uh, what, what um, John was saying in his first epistle. Like, here's the thing Definitely. we've proclaimed, you know, this is what we've said. Yeah. Hold on to the truth. And I think, the, I think the, the key thing that stuck out for me as I was doing some background reading mm. is that the Gnostics claimed that they had the true teaching of Scripture. Yeah. And so he's emphasizing the tradition that the church doesn't corrupt <clears throat> and the, the way in which, and what he actually does is he, he maps out names, 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 showing the, the succession of how this tradition was handed down as a, a faithful interpretation of Scripture. Hmm. So he's not saying this to, you know, at the time of the Reformation, the Catholic Church raised tradition over Scripture mm-hmm. um, to refute it. He's not doing that here. Right. He's not being a, a good Roman, a medieval Roman Catholic yes, when he's yeah. emphasizing the role of tradition here, but rather faithfulness to the text. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. It's important. Yeah, it's just... I think it applies so well to so much of what's going on in charismatic theology today. I um, I can't help. I mean, I realize it's got different, um, you know, ways of being applied and, and, and whatnot, but just the whole, this is what the church has believed. It's such a powerful concept. And, um, and the, the, the value of tradition in that regard is, is huge, you know, just uh, yeah. the creeds, the confessions, uh, those things that that guide us, and just beware of adding your own thing to it. Just this week, I was watching some guy doing this thing. He's just coming up with his own version of Christianity, and just thinking, you know, it's and it's coming straight out of his own special knowledge that he has, you know, his hot his pipeline to heaven, and um, it's just it's narcissism in a different form. That's all it is. Yeah, yeah. I just yeah. want to throw a confession at him. Basically, so you know, it's the same sort <laughs> well, of thing. A, a confession, yeah, is pretty much the same thing. Yeah, it's that faithful yeah. tradition. Yeah, amen. For sure. All right, uh, now we're moving on to uh, what would it be book three and um, chap- chapter three, chapter three, and then the first paragraph or whatever you call yeah. that thing section. <clears throat> All right. All who wish to see the truth can clearly complicate, uh, contemplate at least in every church the tradition of the apostles manifested throughout the whole world. We can list those who were by the apostles appointed bishops in the churches and their successors down to our time. So this is kind of what you were saying earlier. Um, yeah. They neither taught nor knew anything like what these heretics rave about. Suppose the apostles had known hidden mysteries, which they were in the habit of imparting to the perfect, in quotations, privately and in secret. Uh, surely they would have handed them down, especially to those whom they were also entrusting the churches themselves. Um for they wanted their successes to be perfect and blameless in everything. And uh, that's all I got in this one. So basically saying, okay, listen, if they're going to give any secret knowledge from the apostles to anyone, um, they're going to hand it down to the guys they're clearly ordaining to pastor the churches. Um, and and yet they did nothing like that. And so uh, what we have is the, the public knowledge that has been proclaimed throughout yeah, amen. Yeah, so there's a uh, so paragraphs two and three give a long list of names, mm-hmm. and then it picks up at par- uh, uh, paragraph four. Yeah, cool. So cool. I'll pick it up there. Go for it. But but Polycarp also was not only instructed by apostles and conversed with many who had seen Christ, 
but was also, by apostles in Asia, appointed bishop of the church in Smyrna, whom I also saw in my early youth. For he tarried on earth a very long time, and when a very old man, gloriously and most nobly suffering martyrdom, departed this life, having always taught the things which he had learned from the apostles and which the church has handed down and which alone are true. To these things all the Asiatic churches testify, as do also those men who have succeeded Polycarp down to the present time. Oh, we get to talk about Serenthus. Cool. This is the yeah, Serenthus coming part. up. <laughs> it's my favorite. <laughs> That's great. Eh? <laughs> a man who was of much greater weight and a more steadfast witness of truth than Valentinus. So Valentinus uh, and Marcion. So those are some of the, the two famous heretics that he was engaging with. Yeah. And the rest of the heretics. He it was who coming to Rome in the time of Anicetus caused many to uh, turn away from the aforesaid heretics to the church of God, proclaiming that he had received this one and sole truth from the apostles, that that namely which is handed down by the church. There are also those who heard from him that John, the disciple of the Lord, going to bathe at Ephesus and perceiving Serenthus within, rushed out of the bathhouse without bathing, exclaiming, let us fly, lest even the bathhouse fall down, because Serenthus, the enemy of the truth, is within. <laughs> and Polycarp himself replied to Marcion, who met him on one occasion and said, Dost thou know me? I do know thee, the firstborn of Satan. Such was the horror which the apostles and their disciples had against holding even verbal communication with any corruptors of the truth. As Paul also says, A man that is an heretic, after the first and second admonition, reject, knowing that he that is such is subverted and sinneth, being condemned of himself. There was also a very powerful epistle of Polycarp written to the Philippians, from which those who choose to do so and are anxious about their salvation can learn the character of his faith and the preaching of the truth. Then again, the church in Ephesus, founded by Paul, and having John remaining among them permanently until the times of Trajan, is a true witness of the tradition of the apostles. Hmm. Man, that's so awesome. Wow. <laughs> I do know you, yeah. you firstborn of Satan. <laughs> that's how you speak to heretics. That's how you do it right there. Oh, man, classic. Hey, I'll just yeah. also take the opportunity to say, if you're hearing uh, weird little sounds of, uh, of, of uh, kids having a blast in the background, that's because that's true. Uh, it's summertime and kids are out on trampolines. And so don't adjust your headphones. Everything is fine. But that that's what's happening. Um, I'm not even going to try and fight it. I'm just rolling with it. Uh, we're getting we're getting kids and trampoline sounds with this podcast. That's how we roll during this summer. Um, all right, cool. But man, that's that's a great paragraph. I think even maybe one of my favorites. Yeah, it's good stuff. Totally. Eh? All right. And then we've got a short one next. Um, uh, just in uh, the next the next chapter four and. Um, in paragraph one, as we have such proofs, there is no need to look elsewhere for the truth that is easily obtained from the church. Suppose there is a dispute about an important issue. Should we not resort to the oldest churches with whom the apostles were in constant contact and learn from them an accurate and clear answer? Um, so I don't know if he shortened that there. I think he has a little bit. Yeah, he would have. Yeah, he would but, have. Um, but it, yeah, um, and you can you can see from these sorts of statements where the Catholic Church at the time of the Reformation oh, wow. were calling on people to, you know, have their implicit faith in the teachings yes. of the Church and yes. not in this new upstart called Luther. Yeah. Um, 
But the trouble is they had departed from the apostolic faith, which and, was one of the things that Calvin was trying to establish. Right. And just to see it in, in the text here as well in this context is, I mean, it shows they were misusing the context, you know, to, to make yeah. those sorts of claims. So that's really helpful. You know, um, he's just he has something completely different in mind. So as we've said a few times. Um, good. Well, we've got a few to go still, don't we? Um, oh, no, we're nearly there. Yep. All right, so, so book five. Book five, yeah. Chapter 33, paragraph 3 and 4. Now, the context here is a little odd. Um, he sort of jumps right. I don't know how yours starts, but my starts with the blessing of Isaac. Is that yours? Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so he's coming in with very earthly talk about the millennium. Mm -hmm. That's what you need to know as you hear the language. And the point to, to take away is this, that he's stressing the earthly nature of future blessing. Yeah. And so he's getting a little, uh, he's getting a little interest, you know, he's getting, <laughs> his interpretation <laughs> of scripture is yeah. uh, very exciting and inventive. Yeah. But um, it's all to stress against the Gnostics, the earthly nature of future blessing. And so we're, we're yeah. with him on that. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Amen. Totally. Cool. So me to read? Yes. Okay, I'm not sure how, how long yours is, but uh, mine's quite long. All right. Let's yeah. uh, well, just go with whatever you have. Tell you what, why don't you read your version because right. you've got the, the, short the shorter one. version. All right. Um, yeah. <clears throat> the predicted blessing, Genesis 27, 27 to 29, unquestionably belongs to the time of the kingdom when the righteous shall rise from the dead and rule, when also the creation, having been renewed and set free, shall be abundantly fruitful with all kinds of food from the dew of heaven and the fertility of the earth. The elders who saw John, the Lord's disciple, related what they had heard from him, how the Lord used to teach about these times, saying, The days are coming when vines shall grow, each with ten thousand branches, each branch with ten thousand twigs, each true twig with ten thousand shoots, each shoot with ten thousand clusters, and each cluster with ten thousand grapes. Each grape will yield 25 measures of wine. When any saint takes a hold of one cluster, another will cry out, I am a better cluster, take me, bless the Lord through me. The Lord declared, likewise, that a grain of wheat would produce 10,000 ears, that each ear should have 10,000 grains, and that each grain would yield 10 pounds of clear, pure, <laughs> fine flour. Also that all other fruit-bearing trees, seeds, and grass would yield in similar proportions. Also that all animals would feed on vegetation and would live in peace and harmony with each other in perfect subjugation to man. Um, and mm. then I've just actually got one, one more uh, little line here from, from the next. From, uh, okay, go for it. Might as well just put that in there. Uh, if lions are going to eat straw, this is from Isaiah 11.7, uh, just think about, he says, what the wheat will be like if the straw can feed lions. <laughs> yeah, so that's actually the last line of the fourth paragraph. Okay, good, good, yeah. good. <laughs> I mean, it's it's um, it's interesting. I mean, that's not from the Bible. The days are coming when vines will grow, etc. The way the way it's worded here, right? I wonder if he's taking no. a paraphrase from something. That's what I thought originally. You know, and yeah, you've got a slightly abridged version there, so he's got a lot more to it. And then in paragraph four, he the wolves and the lambs will lie down together, and right. so he's he's pulling on some Old Testament prophecies. Yeah, and I'm the just imagery in that, in the way he says, uh, you know, he's sort of pulling on on um, this tradition that spoke of the way Jesus used to teach about this stuff, and then he's yeah. he's sort of uh, relating, you know, something that 
sounds almost like it should be added to scripture. So that that sounds a little bit dangerous to me. Um, <laughs> but then the other thing is, of course, um, you know, where we would embrace a prophetic idiom with this sort of sort of stuff. Uh, he's just gone completely literal. You yeah. Know? So yeah. he's just looking for that day when you've got all these things like literally uh, happening in that in that way. And uh, for those who don't know what I mean when I say prophetic idiom, uh, really what we're saying there is the prophets used, you know, harvest metaphors or just whatever was going on at the time so as to communicate to the people this idea of abundance beyond understanding and belief. And, you know, even just with the, the, the animals and, you know, the lion and the lamb together, it's not necessarily that everything's gone vegetarian or whatever. Um, yeah. Although that might be another issue to discuss, uh, but more just a matter of going look at the un fathomable uh peace that that would come upon the earth in ways that we can't even understand so yeah yeah and maybe just yeah maybe just to say as well that although uh Irenaeus is credited as being primo yeah he's definitely not dispensational yes yes good point okay so (laughs) he lays the foundation for a classical approach but you know the whole dispensational thing is um very far away from his position. I think that's so important to emphasize. I mean, the you know, because to that, I mean, look, I mean, that you know, fine. I have honestly got very little problem with the covenantal sort of premillennial view. Um, really, the only issue with premillennialism is the way uh, today is the way that it relies on a, a really bogus sort of undergirding system and framework in um, dispensational theology. So, so yeah, I mean, like you just don't even have any of those problems uh, in RNAs, especially if he's bringing out the two Adam stuff, <laughs> which I didn't see, yeah. but yeah, amen to that. Um, <laughs> yeah. I can forgive a man a lot if he's got the two Adams in place. <laughs> yeah. So the whole recapitulation theory of the atonement yeah. comes from Irenaeus. Oh, that's true. Yeah. That's true. Oh, man. Lane should have brought some of those paragraphs in. Yeah, um, for sure. Totally. Yeah, that's huge. I forgot about that, actually. That's um, that's absolutely massive. I mean, the the, the recapitulation um, uh, idea is, is so important, you know. And even, did you say that the, um, the whole um, <laughs> idea of what, what, um, he did not assume he could not save comes from Irenaeus as well, or is that a little bit uh, later? Well, I, I, I can't remember if, if he was the one who was quoted to that end, but certainly what I read is the the Greek Orthodox emphasis on the incarnation. Right. And the two natures coming together as the bridge between God and man yeah. as opposed to the cross. Well, it would yeah. make sense if they were denying, if it was a descetic version of Gnosticism and they were denying, you know, the um, the incarnation yeah. and its need and what. And so it, it would make sense to come from Irenaeus if that was his big fight. So anyway, yeah. we'll leave that to, to see. Yeah. If you, if, you, if you listen to the phrase partakers of the divine nature yeah. with Irenaic lenses, you know, mm-hmm. it has a completely different meaning. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Man, cool. Well, anyways, that was a, a decent mouthful of lyrics. Let's drop it there. And um, awesome. uh, we'll pick it up. What are we doing next? Let's um, open it up. Ah, ah, Tertullian. The Apology. <laughs> nice. Montanist. Awesome. Well, I really, I do love Tertullian, but there's something I love more. Mm. What, what, what is that? I know, I know exactly what you mean, Mike. What, I, think what, it, I think you mean go to church. <laughs> Well, that was smooth. That was smooth. <laughs> I think uh, what I was, I was hoping to take a roundabout, I love, I love church more and I love church confessions and tradition more. Hey, we should go to church. Don't forget to go to church tomorrow. That, that, was, that was nice, but I like mine better. All right, just go to church. Just go to church. Just stop listening and go to church. Just do it. 
Have a good weekend. Go to church. We'll see you next week.